Welcome to the Reality Taboo Podcast. It's January 19th, 2024. I'm Jeff. Joining me is my co-host, Ness. This week's topic is the fallout from the Iowa caucuses. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. So, Ness, what are your takeaways from Iowa? The most optically optimal method of knocking out Trump is off the table now. This was a disaster for the establishment. Not only did Trump cross the 50% threshold, making it difficult to spin some sort of narrative that the confluence of all anti-Trump forces together versus Trump is enough to to defeat Trump. DeSantis's strong showing in second place and Nikki Haley's modest underperforming of the polls and coming in third place makes it so that there isn't even a consistent second fiddle to Trump in future primary and caucus states. In New Hampshire next week, Nikki Haley is going to come in second comfortably. Ron DeSantis is going to be in the, the single digits. And so his second place finish led to the uh, absurd but not totally inaccurate remark from Nikki Haley that it was a, a two-person race. The person who came in third was declaring that it was, at that point in time, a two-person race. Additionally, Trump becoming the sore and the mirthless and telling Vivek that you fight for me now further solidifies Trump's advantage to the point that it is now insurmountable uh, in, in the conventional electoral sense. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the results, but I think it's worth noting for all intents and purposes at this point of the Republican nomination, uh, the questions about the electoral outcome of the Republican nomination are clear. There's, it's, it's Trump's. He, he will get the delegates. If the process is not significantly changed or he's not forced off, out of the running or the RNC doesn't snatch away the nomination from him when he clearly won it by every conventional metric. It's his. It's not going to be Nikki Haley's. It's not going to be Ron DeSantis. It's not going to be anybody else. I think it's less likely this time around that the establishment RNC would sabotage him because he's already getting quite a bit of establishment support. Today, Tim Scott from South Carolina just endorsed Trump. It doesn't. Uh, I think the governor of South Carolina's endorsed him. So, I think even Lindsey Graham. So the establishment people that some of them were putting up every uh, putting up a fight against him in 2015, 2016. They're already endorsing him. So I wouldn't think the the stab in the back is going to come from the the establishment RNC side. Yeah. Well, these people do have a strong sense of self preservation, and they saw what happened to Liz Cheney and. That other crybaby, uh, what's his name, Adam? Adam Kissing, Kins- yeah. Kinsinger. Yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe that means we're effectively past the the second most optimally uh, preferable way of removing Trump from the running, which is having the RNC do it, the minor party, the outer party do it. Maybe now it's going to fall to the legal system. Then after the legal system, the alphabet agencies as Chuck Schumer says, they have six ways to Sunday to get back at you. <laughs> so let's look at some of the results. First off, the polling was remarkably accurate. Trump underperformed by one and a half points compared to where he was the eve of the caucus. Haley underperformed by 0.3%. DeSantis was the only one outside the margin of error from what polling predicted. He overperformed by five and a half points. Vivek overperformed by 
just under 1%, and Asa Hutchison underperformed by 0.6 points, uh, but he only got 0.2% of the vote. So the polls had him at a 0.8 average. He ended up getting 0.2. And there was somebody named Ryan Binkley, who I confess until looking at the results I had never even heard of, who garnered three times as much support as Ata Hussison. So my prediction that he gets 0.0% of the vote was not very far off the mark. This Binkley guy spent $3 million in Iowa, which strikes me as sort of an analog way of gaining notoriety in a digital age. Surely there's more a more effective way, if name recognition is the primary reason for running, to, to go, get that name recognition. Well, hey, you're talking about him. Yeah, yeah, touche. I, I am bringing him up now. I, in my defense, it's the only reason I even noticed the name is because he got three times as much support as Asa Hutchison. If he was one of the names further in the basement in almost negative territory below Asa Hutchison, I probably wouldn't have noticed at all. Um, but you're, you're correct. Uh, I do now. We're talking about him. And since we're talking about him, we might as well note that he does have good physiognomy. As we alluded to last week, Trump pretty significantly underperformed Iowa polling back in 2016. He modestly underperformed this time around, but the gap was a lot smaller. So as we look forward to New Hampshire, uh, in New Hampshire, Trump significantly overperformed polling expectations back in 2016. He did 4.1 points better than what the RCP averaged the eve of the New Hampshire primary had him slated to do. And currently, that same RCP average has him up on Haley by 12.8 points. And I expect him to outperform polling there just like he did in 2016. So New Hampshire is over. Trump's going to win there almost as convincingly as he did in Iowa. And then he's going to curb stomp whatever opposition is still left in South Carolina, Nevada. After that, Trump's up by like 50 points in Nevada. So obviously Trump's going to win New Hampshire, and then you said Haley is going to play second, unlike in Iowa, and then DeSantis is going to be a distant third. Why, why does DeSantis? Uh, why is he polling so poorly in New Hampshire? Is the electorate that much different than Iowa? Yeah, with the exception of maybe Vermont, New Hampshire is the most libertine state in the country, and the electorate there is really allergic to any hint of any sort of social conservatism. It's it's the free state, the free state project, but it's the sort of libertine edge of the libertarian movement. So the big things there are going to be like opposition to age of consent laws and the ability to walk around without clothes on and being able to use drugs so maybe the fact that Trump's had so many affairs and now it's come out that Haley uh, got around too when she was uh, state senator or in the state legislature and governor in South Carolina. So maybe that those will they'll help be helped by that. Yeah, maybe it'll be more of a feature than a bug. And so I guess maybe DeSantis needs to find a paramour in in the next week or so, and it'll help him out in New Hampshire, or maybe start doing drugs. I don't know something. Or get an abortion and bake a cake to celebrate it, or marry the family dog. There are a lot of different roads that lead to the path of degeneracy, but he's got to pick one. He's got to pick one quick. Getting back to Iowa, entrance polling uh, and entrance polling is 
effectively you can think of it like like you do with exit polling the way caucuses are set up um, they end and everyone leaves at the same time so generally in primaries or conventional voting events exit pollsters will stand outside the event and as people come out they'll talk to them over an hour or two period and they'll collect X number of interviews at each polling spot and they'll uh, tabulate the results and that's how they'll come up with their exit polling results well with caucuses it doesn't work that way uh, because everybody goes through the caucus and then leaves at the same time so if you have one or two people stationed at a caucus location they don't have the ability to catch everyone as they're leaving because the vast majority of people will just leave before they can talk to them so instead they do entrance polls but the the purpose of the entrance poll is the same as the purpose of an exit poll uh, underscoring even more Trump's dominance among the Republican electorate, among Republicans, self-described Republicans in the Iowa caucuses, Trump got 54.0% of the support, DeSantis got 24, Haley got 15, and Vivek got 7. Um, among independents, Trump got 42, Haley 34, Vivek 12, and DeSantis 8. So the GOP electorate is Trump's, the establishment of insurgency, which manifests primarily in the form of people who self-describe as independents or Democrats, is Haley's. Uh, the only thing more disastrous to DeSantis' future prospects as a GOP national figure than his decision to run for president in the first place would be to stay in for New Hampshire and afterwards, uh, because Vivek has now shown that that he's in Trump's camp and Vivek has really filled the shoes that should have been DeSantis's where at least at this point in time if you have to look at who is the likely successor to Trump for the MAGA movement in 2028 that would have been DeSantis had DeSantis never run but now it's increasingly looking like it's going to be Vivek and the longer DeSantis stays in the race and pulls support away from Trump and attacks Trump and in bitter uh, hostility among his supporters for Trump, the worse DeSantis's future prospects in the Republican Party are going to be. And yet it looks like DeSantis is going to hang in there uh, through New Hampshire, which he's already written off. Um, he is now campaigning hard in South Carolina is kind of his last stand. And he won't be standing long after South Carolina if he even makes it there. He'll be out for sure by Nevada. So why do you think uh, DeSantis is staying in even now? It's a good question, ripe for speculation. I mean, the sunk cost fallacy, I think, is, I th the more important question might be in some senses to ask why did he jump in in the first place back in May of last year. And it seems different now which is so wild to contemplate the fact that it now seems in political terms so long ago since covid was all over everything all the time on people's minds and affecting how everybody lived their day-to-day -day lives but if in an alternate universe we're still in a situation where the biden administration and the entire power structure was pushing covid and everything that went along with COVID and Trump was still defending Operation Warp Speed and getting booed at rallies by his own supporters. Uh, DeSantis would, by comparison, look a lot better as the anti-COVIDian warrior. And so when he announced back in 2023, yes, 
COVID was in the rear view mirror, but it was still close. It was still on people's minds when he announced in a way that it just isn't anymore. I think also he may have been banking on recognition politically, electorally, for the fact that in 2018 he squeaked by with the narrowest of margins, less than 1%, to win the governorship. And then in 2022 he won by overwhelming margin double digits, comfortable double digits. So he took a purple state and made it a red state for electoral purposes. And so he's probably banking on being able to replicate that at the national level. However, the polling, that, as we've talked about in the last few episodes, has been very accurate and continues to be accurate, astonishingly so in the case of Iowa. National polling shows that he just does worse against Biden or any other Democrat than any Republican does, including Trump, uh, but also than Nikki Haley does or Chris Christie or anyone else. So while it seems that in Florida he was able to increase the Republican share of the vote by 15 points at a national level compared to other Republican figures. He just doesn't seem to be able to replicate that at all. To the contrary, it, the inverse of what, of that occurs. And it seems like he could have just waited until 2028. I think he's, he's still in his 40s. He would have been at the perfect age in 2028. And maybe he felt like he needed he had this notoriety on a, had the national spotlight and he needed to take advantage of it now and he thought i can't wait four years yeah we are talking about how quickly time flies um in politics and so yeah maybe he, he felt like i need to strike while the iron is hot and so it is hindsight is 2020 of course as the expression goes uh but Looking at where we are now, it just looks as though it was the most imprudent decision he could have made politically. And evangelicals, self-described born-again evangelicals, supported Trump more strongly than non-evangelicals did. The rock-solid support Trump has among evangelical Christians is something that's very interesting to me and that we're going to explore in future episodes, so stay tuned. Just wanted to flag that issue. Well, look, it's clear Trump doesn't embody uh, evangelical principles. He's not the personification. Uh, <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. He's on his third wife. He cheated on his current wife while she was pregnant. He cheated on her with a porn star. So, <laughs> yeah, But it's easy to rag on evangelicals for supporting Trump in spite of those things, but I, I think it is actually a very encouraging sign. It's a healthy sign, and they're making a decision that, that makes sense. Christian America is beginning to shift away from an undue obsession with principles and looking instead to who represents their interests, who protects their interests, who is in it for them, and who will de destroy their enemies, defeat their enemies, Hear the lamentations of their women. Trump's strong support among evangelicals represents a shift in interest over principles. And it's a long time coming as far as I'm concerned. Support by sex didn't vary really at all among candidates with one exception. And Trump actually did marginally better with women than with men. He got 53% uh, of female support, 49% of male support. The one candidate who, who did significantly better with men than with women was Vivek. Um, 
meta-cerebral and vivacus cerebral speaking of cerebral i think now's a good time to reflect on the fact that we're enmeshed in alternative media as are probably anyone who's listening to this and i think there's a tendency among those of us who are in alternative media to kind of get high on our own supply um the stark reality is alternative media has really had no influence on this election process so far in 2024. The big alternative media candidates were, of course, RFK and then Vivek. And when Vivek announced several months ago he was coming in at 15, 18% support, and when he dropped out, that had been more than cut in half. Now, he has managed to get himself under Trump's wing. But that is more a consequence, I think, of his general intelligence and his craftiness than it is his decision to go all in in alternative media per se. So do you think that alternative media has been an asset to Vivek in this election cycle? No, I don't think so. Not on net. The only way someone becomes interesting for the alternative media cycle is to say things that guarantee that they're going to be viewed antagonistically by the power structure and by the corporate media. And so whatever benefit Vivek was able to gain from going on the alternative media circuit was more than compensated for by the damage that was done by the corporate media and the entire establishment, indicating clearly that Vivek was a bad guy and that there was negative status associated with supporting him. And speaking of status, the managerial class and the GOP electorate electorate continues. Trump beat Haley 74 to 7, so he got more than 10 times as much support among those uh, caucus goers with no college at all. She beat him 38 to 25 among those with post-grad degrees. And the trend was perfectly linear across the five degrees of educational attainment that the entrance polls looked at. So as educational attainment increases, support for Trump decreases. I love the poorly educated. Of course, educational attainment these days is less a marker of intelligence than it is a marker of having the right beliefs, having the correct orientation towards the cultural and social issues of the day. Using word sum scores from the general social survey as a proxy for intelligence, we can see that um, someone with a high school diploma back in the 1960s has the same IQ as the average person in the 2010s who had an undergrad degree. Um, a, A graduate degree today the average grad degree holder has a lower intelligence than the average undergraduate did in the 60s and 70s. But it does continue, even probably even more so than in the past, to be a strong marker of social status. And the social status is behind Nikki Haley and in ever-increasing opposition to Trump. Black pill for those holding out hope that the change in orientation among Republican voters on foreign policy uh, for the four categories where entrance poll respondents were asked what their most important issue was Haley won decisively among those who who noted foreign policy uh, DeSantis won on abortion and Trump won among those who said immigration and the economy were their most important issues uh, respondents were also asked 
what quality in a candidate matters most. Uh, there are four different options. One of those options was fights for people like me, and that one really notably went 82% for Trump, DeSantis got 10, Vivek got 5, and Haley got 4. So this is a reprise of I am your voice. It's worth noting too that it deals with candidates who fight for people like me, not necessarily candidates who are the same as me. I don't think the average Iowan is under any delusion that, that Trump is like him. but And this may be equally delusional, mileage will vary, but they do think that he is someone who will fight for people like them, or at least has the same enemies as the people hate them do. Or as Trump phrased it, and they're picking up on, it's not that they're coming after me, it's that they're coming after you, but I'm just standing in their way. Rachel Maddow, actually, the night of the Iowa caucuses, uh, effectively confirmed as much when she noted that it wasn't just the Republican candidate that was the problem, but it was increasingly the need to look at the people who support that candidate because they are the real problems. I've said and I continue to maintain that Trump is not going to be permitted to become president of the United States. But if we let Pollyanna get the best of us, and we presume for the sake of argument that he does have a shot, I think Vivek's uh, somber concession speech and support for Trump is provides exactly the gravitas that Trump needs. Vivek's young, he's non-white, he's high IQ, he's thoughtful, he's precise, he's everything that Trump isn't. It, I, I wonder if he could be the vice presidential choice. My Tim Scott prediction was pretty uninspired. I think probably most likely now, if you ask me again, who I thought it was going to be, at least Stefanik. Um, if it ends up being her, that'll be a sign that Trump has learned nothing and has no intention of deviating from the personnel steamrolling he underwent in his first term because she would be an obvious sop to the neocons and her star has risen in the wake of the anti-Semitism hearings that had a couple of Ivy League presidents lose their jobs. So don't worry, the genocide in Gaza will continue. Well, yeah, if Elise Stefanik is the VP nominee and it's Trump's Stefanik versus Biden and Harris, it's sort of morbid humor that you're making there, but it also is truthful. It's accurate. That will be the future if that's what the situation is. And I could also see Sarah Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, being picked as Trump's VP. Is from She's been... She was an effective press secretary, and I don't think she's ever said a negative word about Trump. She's remained very loyal, and it just seems like she and Trump have a good personal rapport, so I could see her being his VP. Yeah, she's not very aesthetically pleasing. She's not photogenic, but he, despite being uh, conventionally understood to be a very shallow person, as you say, Jeff, he seemed to get along well with her. Uh, There was obvious, as they say, chemistry there. And while I hope that it's Vivek, I certainly think Sanders would be much better than Stefanik. Uh, Getting back down to earth, the entrance poll also found that if in a hypothetical situation where Trump's convicted of a crime, they asked respondents if they felt that Trump should be or is unfit and should be ineligible to run. 65% of caucus goers said no, he should be allowed to run, but a non-insignificant 31% said yes. And only 16% of self-described uh, participants in Iowa in the Iowa caucus were independents. Only 2% were Democrats. So that means at least 13% of caucus goers who 
say that Trump should be ineligible to run for president if he's convicted of a crime, self-describe as Republican. If that scales at a national level, that is going to create a strong headwind for Trump to overcome. And so as to what happens next, I think it has to be conviction. I suspect then that in the coming months, there will be a conviction. One of these will stick, whether it be federal at the state level. And the Supreme, the United States Supreme Court has taken up the Colorado ballot question of whether Trump can be on the ballot. So I think they scheduled oral arguments for February. So I suspect we'll have uh, an answer from the U.S. Supreme Court either in February or March. As we wrap up here, I want to share an actionable tip. Uh, there are coins to be scooped up from the betting market fountains um, as we go through this 2024 election. I got a 6% return uh, at predictit.org on DeSantis not winning the caucus last Sunday, the night before the Iowa caucuses, 24 hours before it paid out. Losing 95 cents on the dollar sucks, but losing 100 cents on the dollar is even worse. But there are people who will lose 100 cents on the dollar instead of 95 cents on the dollar, and you can arbitrage that 5 cent difference. Um, whether it be due to like their psychological block or irrational hopium that keeps people from from recovering five cents on the dollar, that margin is there to be made, and it can be made very quickly. I, without being hyper, hyperbolic, I, I spent probably a minute and a half placing a couple of bets on Iowa caucus results that were sure things that had five and six percent returns. Um, predict it. The maximum bet amount is only eight hundred fifty dollars, so you're not talking about a significant amount of money, but Again, if you can if you can make $100 in two minutes, it's worth doing and it's there. If we float back up into the clouds again and entertain the possibility of Trump being allowed to be elected again, I wonder how the corporate media is going to treat the presidency. So we have already now that they didn't cover his, uh, his victory speech. I wonder the prospect of having four years of a president where the media, the corporate media just doesn't report on really much of anything that he says, or they just interpret what he says, they report secondhand, and is it going to be a situation where only via the alternative media that we're kind of playfully bashing earlier is the way to get the primary source material? Will there be only secondary, heavily filtered, heavily slanted, heavily propagandized corporate media narratives offered, or will we actually be able to, to see Trump press conferences and Trump speeches and the like? The deep state has its work cut out for it. Yeah, maybe in some sense, but if they just don't report on or show Trump at all, then the corporate media can drop all the pretenses and really embrace what it has become and just be a stenographer of the deep state, which is what it, it effectively is now. All right, well, let's leave it there. Thanks for listening to the Reality Taboo podcast. Please remember, like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Talk to you later.